Just before we get started, the Second Act Podcast would like to acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on Treaty 7 land inhabited by the Blackfoot Nations. This includes the Siksika, Pikani, and Kainai. We would also like to acknowledge the Sutsina and Stony Nakoda First Nations, as well as the Métis Nations and all people who make their home on Treaty 7 land in southern Alberta. But now that we've paid respects to people that were here before us, let's start the pod. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Second Act Podcast. Today's podcast was a roller coaster, hey Dad? It was something else, man. Bethany Hallam has uh, has an incredible story about um, starting off her her life in with every advantage and uh, and a promising athletics career getting derailed by a couple of injuries left her with an opioid addiction that she was taking her life out of control. Yeah, Bethany goes from this renowned athlete from her hometown of Pennsylvania. To a druggie who is in and out of, who is in and out of prisons, living on bail, and just overall shot her opportunities down. Yeah, and she she did the made the most of of an opportunity to get out and get clean. The story about uh, her deciding on election night in twenty sixteen that she was a part of the problem and she was going to become a part of the solution, um, you know. Is incredible. Four years later, she was on CNN as a political correspondent, and in those four years, she's decided she was going to make a difference. And now she's she's making the laws that that help govern those jails. She was once, you know, a, a, a prisoner in. So it's it's just an incredible story. That's just one part of it, and uh, I don't think we can we can probably ever do enough justice to her story. So without any further ado, let's welcome Bethany Hallam. Thank you for having me. So glad to be here. Bethany, it's really great that you could join us today. Um, like we were talking about a little bit before we we started uh, recording, your story kind of fits in exactly with what we're trying to do because kind of through a bunch of series of events, you're in a position now where you have all these experiences and you're, you're able to use that experience and then your abilities to kind of bring some of them to the forefront and see if you can enact some change. And I think that is really the the crux of what we're trying to talk about is people who are using their abilities and their experiences to enact change. Yeah, I'm really trying. I mean, one of my principles in life is we can only keep what we have by giving it away. So I feel like I have a lot to give away to people who have given a lot to me. Well, then that's, um, I mean, that's a, a, a very noble uh, endeavor, but it, it can't be something that, that, wasn't hard earned to, to land at that. I mean, you, you had to have really lived a life to this point to be able to understand that. I don't think that's something that is, you know, really uh, second nature to a lot of people. Why don't you tell us a little bit about who, who you are and how you got here? Sure. Um, so currently I am the at-large council member for Allegheny County. Uh, that's if you're familiar with Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, that's the city center of Allegheny County. So my district is comprised of 1.2 million people. I write laws for 1.2 million people on our legislative body. Um, but you know, a few years ago, I would have never in a million years imagined that this is where I'd be. Uh, so back when I was in high school, I was a very avid athlete. Uh, I played, I was a swimmer. I played softball and the love of my life was lacrosse. Uh, my junior year in high school, I tore my ACL. And at the time, I truly didn't think anything of it, right? I had seen people do this a million times before. It never crossed my mind that it was really going to change the trajectory of the rest of my life. Uh, after that injury, I got prescribed Vicodin. And then I had surgery and I got more Vicodin. And then I did physical therapy and I got more Vicodin. And just when I was about to get cleared to go back to full activity, I was in gym class and I tore my other ACL. So two ACL tears back to back, junior and senior years of high school. After that second ACL tear, that cycle started all over again. Vicodin for the injury, Vicodin for surgery, Vicodin for physical therapy after. And by the time you know, about a year and a half from the first injury till the time the prescription was done, I was hooked. I didn't even know at the time that I was hooked, right? We're talking 2007, 2008. Uh, just when the opioid epidemic was kind of starting to get into the mainstream, people were starting to hear about it. But, you know, we didn't talk about it back then like we did now. And so, you know, I was sick and I had a friend who gave me pills, said, you're withdrawing, this will make you feel better. 
And so that's really when my whole like downward spiral started. I was buying pills off the street. I went to college at a university in Pittsburgh where I live. And uh, I gave somebody money to go get me pills one day and they came back with heroin. And I spent the next seven years uh, a blur in and out of jails, rehabs, living in a car and rest stop parking lots, Walmart parking lots, just trying to survive. I mean, I used to break into my own parents' basement just so I had somewhere to sleep because no one wanted me around because I was lying. I was stealing. I was not myself, right? The drugs had taken over every single aspect of my life. And then um, I was, you know, in and out of jail, but all the charges were minor charges, possession charges, disorderly conduct charges, things that were the equivalent of, you know, traffic citations. And then I was prescribed Suboxone, uh, which for anybody who's not familiar with that, that's a medication to help curb uh, withdrawal symptoms and help you detox from opioids. And I had no desire to stop using. And I was selling my Suboxone and I sold my Suboxone to a police officer. And I always joke around about it because I always say when you're watching TV shows and you see someone selling drugs to a cop, you always think, how could you be so dumb? But let me tell you, <laughs> I was tricked as well. Um, and so I did that and I was very fortunate. You know, um, our criminal legal system here isn't a fair and equal legal system. Um, but I was a, a white girl from the suburbs and my parents were able to afford an attorney for me. And so, you know, I had a lot of privileges that so many people that I fight for today never had. So when I was facing years and years and years in prison, I got two years probation. And I remember like it was yesterday, my lawyer telling me, your judge is really tough. This probation is very strict. Uh, if you mess up, He's going to throw the book at you. Uh, don't worry about it. Well, eight months later, eight months of cheating drug tests every single week, uh, I failed a drug test and I was taken straight to jail. And uh, the difference about this time, all the other times I went to jail, you know, a night, two nights, three nights, my parents would come and rescue me, bail me out after they thought I learned my lesson. Uh, this time I was sitting on a probation detainer. And what that means is that all the money in the world couldn't get me out of jail. I violated my probation and only my judge and my probation officer could agree to let me out. So it was the first time I sat there for five, five and a half months. It was the first time ever in my life that I had no alcohol in my system, no uh, drugs in my system. I didn't have weed or cigarettes in my system even. And so I really had a clear head and I was just like defeated. You know, everybody uh, in the recovery community talks about this rock bottom, but I really don't believe in a rock bottom because I think that everybody's enough is different. And that was my enough, right? Cold turkey detoxing on the floor of our Allegheny County Jail. Um, you know, uh, wrapping arms and legs in toilet paper just to stay warm, uh, people crying, screaming out for help and no help ever coming. It was, it was demoralizing, but also it was scary as hell. Right. And so, you know, um, and this was 2016. I was taken to jail October, I'm August 26, 2016. And, you know, here in the United States, we had a kind of big election in 2016. And before I went to jail, you know, I followed politics, but it just was never on my radar. My whole life was getting high and figuring out ways to get money to get high and just trying to get by to the next day. You know, I never cared because I had so many other things that I thought were so much more important. And then I remember watching Election Day 2016. And I remember hearing in middle of the night being woken up to the sound of the corrections officer on my pod cheering. And so I'm like, okay, Hillary won. That's what we were seeing all day. Hillary won. And I was going back to bed. And then I heard Donald Trump's voice come over the speakers of the TV on the pod. And it was his victory speech. And it was at that point that something just hit me, you know, like I was so sad. I was so angry. I was so frustrated because I felt like it was all my fault. 
that this was happening because I had known what they said that was going to mean for our country, you know, if Donald Trump won the election. But I truly sat there feeling this guilt that it was all my fault because instead of doing something about it, I was getting high and then I was sitting in jail and everything in the world I felt like I could have just fixed if I would have just stopped doing what I was doing. And so when I got out in January 2017, I was so lucky that I had this support system that just smothered me with love and support. Uh, I had tried 12-step programs in the past, Narcotics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous, truly anything that would take me and help me. And it just never worked for me. I always ended up getting high again. And so I decided I was going to do something different because what is the definition of insanity but doing the same thing over and over again and expecting something different to happen? So I just worked my own program. And I've been working my own program. Uh, I just celebrated six years of recovery this past August. And every single day since that first day I got out in January 2017 has been working towards remedying that feeling that I felt when I felt like everything that was wrong in the world was all my fault and I needed to fix it. Everything has been a step towards that. Um, in 2019, I was approached about running for office and I laughed. I laughed so hard at the person who was asking me. They asked me seven or eight times and I was like, you know my story, right? Like I just got out of jail. I just got off probation. I just stopped getting high. I have done some damage in my life. And they said that they thought I was the perfect person for it. They saw that I had been, since I had gotten out of jail, been involved in my community, been helping to support candidates who were running for elected office, um, you know, just been trying to make the world a better place. And that was what we needed more of, not politicians, but just people who gave a damn about their community. And I did more than anything in the world, you know, looking around in that jail and seeing so many people who weren't bad people, weren't dangerous people, weren't scary people who were there for committing crimes of survival. People who were uh, sex workers as an occupation to support their family. People who were in there for stealing food, just to put food on the table because they couldn't afford to otherwise. People who were in there for squatting in an abandoned building for shelter, like the basic necessities that we should be providing people. People were instead getting thrown in jail for trying to obtain themselves, and I couldn't handle that. And so I said, all right, I'll run for office, but we're doing it on my terms. I'm dressing how I want to dress, which usually is like some sweatpants or ripped jeans and sneakers, and I'm telling my whole story. No, no hiding anything. We're leading with every single piece of it from the beginning because I want people to know who I am. I'm sick of going and voting year after year, election after election, and seeing the same people's name on my ballot and knowing that even once they win, they're still not going to do anything for us. I wanted to be something different. And so I ran against a 20-year incumbent, the only person who had ever sat in this at-large council seat. And I kind of whooped his butt, I'm not going to lie. Uh, and it felt good because I knew that all it took was listening to people and not talking at them, was learning for pe from people and then applying it. And now, you know, I have one of the largest legislative districts in the entire United States. I said I represent 1.2 million people and I get to make their lives better every single day. And it's the coolest job I've ever had. Um, I sit on the jail oversight board of the jail that I spent time and time and time again. And I now get to make the conditions in that jail better for the people who live there. And I can't tell you how good it feels, but it's the best thing in the world. And that's how I got here. So there's, there's a lot to unpack in that story. <laughs> I mean, that's an incredible, um, you know, the highs are high, the lows are low. Um, the, the path in between isn't always, you know, linear. It seems like uh, there was a lot of stops and starts to get you there. Um, and, and you talk about a couple of things that, first of all, congratulations on your six years of recovery. That, um, obviously that's the most important thing is, is you're healthy, but uh, you talked a little bit about your, some of your privilege and, and that's something that's kind of a recurring theme, you know, in Canada, we are by no means perfect, but obviously the American news cycle seems to kind of dominate what, 
you know um so so we hear and see these things and you talk about your privilege that you had a, a family that could afford some of the things that a lot of the people you know in a similar situation may not be able to and is that something that that is of uh, you you have the ability to change or is that something that you have the ability to even acknowledge so that people are aware of or how like i just want to start there because that seems like the first kind of place where other than this um fortitude that you had to survive it that's like your first kind of advantage and i just like to be you know talk a little bit about that oh yeah and it wasn't just an advantage once i mean every single piece of my entire journey has been an advantage the fact that i was even given that many pills in the first place i'm sure was because of my privilege um the fact that every time i kept getting arrested i didn't end up in jail for years and years and years leading up to that last time that was a privilege the fact that my parents could send me to rehabs all over the country to try and get me to stop using i mean that was a privilege you know so it wasn't just that one time in in getting probation instead of years in prison but all the times leading up to it uh you know that really made me see how different it was for so many other people but i actually there are ways we can fix it, right? So the first thing is last year in 2021, we actually coordinated what we called the Slate of Eight uh, via a pack called Unite. And what we did was we ran eight progressive criminal legal reform-minded judge candidates. And five of them won. So that's five. We, we elected almost a quarter of the court bench here in Allegheny County with progressive judges, right? So that was a piece of it. We can do it electorally. Um, also, via my work on the jail oversight board, that is one of the focal points that I'm trying to combat every single day with the work because what happened was, right, two months into my elected office, COVID hit. So my entire term has been something completely different than I, you know, I could have never imagined this in the first place, but it was even more of a roller coaster because of that. So when COVID hit in March of 2020, visits shut down at the jail, right? All the data in the world shows how important connections the family and loved ones are when you're incarcerated, how important it is and contributes to lower recidivism rates and more success and rehabilitation, right? And we cut that off from everyone. So at the same time, simultaneously, I don't believe in coincidences, but the jail introduced these tablets and you know it's not an ipad but you ever see those like plastic tablets they make for kids that are just yeah. very basic tablets yeah so now oh sounds great right but now you pay more for phone calls you pay to have facetime visits you pay for text messages you pay for books what's the key word there you're paying for everything pre-covid pre-tablet your family members could just come in and visit you anytime so I spent a lot of time trying to make phone calls in, for incarcerated people and commissary items more affordable because I understand that my parents spent thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars when I was in jail. And I was in there for about five months. That was just on phone calls. That was just on a little bit of commissary so I wasn't going to bed starving every night. That was so I could afford basic hygiene products because our jail doesn't provide them to you. So we have this fund, you know, not to get too into the weeds, but I'm really, really proud of this because we have this fund called an inmate welfare fund. And what it is, is it's a fund that's made up of the profits that our county makes off incarcerated people. So when they charge you $5 for a bag of Doritos instead of a dollar, that $4 goes into this fund. So I decided that at no cost to the taxpayers whatsoever, I could give that money right back to the people whose money it was in the first place. So every single month since COVID hit, uh, I put $100 on the accounts of every single person in the jail. We have about 1,500 people at the jail at any given time. So that cost me $150,000 a month. That account, because they're spending the money right back into it, just gets more and more money in it every single month and I get to do it all over again. So, you know, there's privileges in our court system, but then there's the privileges of while you're incarcerated, not everyone is treated equal even in that environment because they don't have access to phone calls. They don't have access to visits with their loved one. They don't have access to basic hygiene products and nutritional food items. And so, you know, there's little things like that that I'm doing just to try to, until I can get everyone out of jail, we're going to do what we can to make it suck a little less for them in there. It's unique for me as an uneducated 
Canadian, uneducated in your system, to understand how the like the for profit and the different types of jails that you guys you guys have down there. And and we talked about this. Um, I've had a couple of folks on the pod that have spent time in in uh, American jails in in the federal system, both of them. And it seems to me that. Um, you know that there's there's a fine line between rehabilitation and punishment yeah. and and nobody seems to know where that line is just talking to you're the third person now that i've talked to and and it it's interesting to me that um you know the the people that have been in there that have lived it that have come out and are doing something both these other folks that i talked to are out doing you know similar things to you they're they're active participating parts of society and it seems like the, the the people who are making the decisions aren't the people that have spent some time in there and lived it and turned their life around. And you're one of those people. Um, do you find that you have trouble kind of getting traction with like like lawyers and judges and like lawmakers? That, and you're like, no, guys, I live this. You gotta you gotta listen to me here a little bit. It is the biggest hurdle of my job. Um, when I first got elected, I. You know, I was optimistic. I knew it wasn't going to be easy, but I was optimistic. I truly thought that if I could just explain things to people with data and logic and reason, that I could convince anyone to do the right thing. The biggest shock in the world to me was that a lot of people just don't want to do the right thing, especially politicians, especially people in power, because their power is perceived to them as being because they are above other folks. That is how they contain their power and contain their better than is by pushing other folks down. So if we had a system that was truly equitable, will they still have their power? And so I'm the first person in my county to ever sit on the jail board that has been in the jail. That itself is a problem. I am the first formerly incarcerated person elected to public office in the entire country. Why is that? I was elected in 2019. Why was I the first person to have been in jail to be elected to office? That shows that maybe the reason that this one area of our government, this one area of our country, that our criminal legal system is so messed up is because we don't have any representation of people who have been affected by it. Yes, we have people who have lost loved ones to the overdose epidemic. Yes, we have people in office who have had people they cared about incarcerated, you know, but what about people themselves? And so it's so hard to sit in, for example, a jail board meeting and, and describe the process that a human being goes through when they come into the jail on drugs and they are not given any sort of detox medications and they're laying in feces and vomit on the cold concrete floor. It is hard to create a visual for other people of how that could possibly feel like if they've never experienced withdrawal, if they've never been inside the jail, how could they understand that? So I try, I really, really try. And, you know, uh, the biggest way that I've been able to be successful in my efforts to get people to understand what it's like from my perspective, from the perspective of people who are in our criminal legal system is I've really worked with the local media to get stories about the jail out there. Because if people don't know about it, how are we ever going to fix it? And that was something I learned very, very early on in life is that if you wanna fix a problem, make sure everyone's as mad as you are about it. And so I'm you know, talking about it everywhere I go. We actually, in Allegheny County Jail has one of the highest county jail death rates in the entire United States. We have had 17 people die in our jail since March of 2020. We've had six people die in our jail this year. Only 1,500 people in the jail and people are dying at an astronomical rate. And so I thought that maybe that was what it was gonna take for people to understand what it's like in there. And it's still a battle because you need a majority, right? So I'm always counting my votes. On the jail oversight board, I have to count to five. On county council, I have to count to eight. And that's tough when you're at seven or when you're at four. Uh, but I try. And the only way I can do that is to, you know, tell my story 
make sure other people with lived experiences tell their story and show people that truly this is public policy wise reforming our criminal legal system would save the most money out of any other reform that we could do because right now i have a one billion dollar budget for allegheny county a hundred million of it is spent on our jail just the jail that's not the police that's not the courts that's not all the other ways that we incarcerate people or punish people that's just the jail if we would spend even a fraction of that investing into our communities we could save so much money on the back end and regardless of political affiliation regardless of where you fall on the ideological spectrum everybody wants to save money so it's unfortunate that i have to talk about things in terms of revenue and you know saving taxpayer dollars as opposed to human dignity and the fact that lives are on the line here but the reality is that's how i change people's mind and so i'm going to talk about it however i need to talk about it to get people to see that you don't have to have been there yourself to empathize with the people who are there right now struggling with this system that isn't broken at all but was designed to be this way it's interesting when you talk about it in in those numbers like 1.2 million people of which 1500 are are incarcerated and let's for argument's sake let's say there's there's a half a person involved in that for every person incarcerated that's another 750 so you're saying 10 percent of the budget goes to managing 2,000 of those 1.2 million people that's i mean uh, yeah it's just the the numbers are a little mind-blowing uh when you put them in that way can can you talk a little bit you, you mentioned that you're the only uh convict convict convicted person that that's been elected um your at-large role uh, can you just like for the uninitiated of what that may mean like in in canada we're talking about you know each area is called a riding and the riding puts forth their you know candidates and the candidate wins that riding and that's the, the winners of those ridings collectively form government and the idea of at large in my head kind of sounds like like somebody who maybe has doesn't have a specific riding but has has an area a larger area that they look after can you just help us understand exactly how how that works and how you became a candidate for that yeah that's actually exactly how you explained it is exactly what it is so on our county council which again is our legislature our legislative body for 1.2 million people there's it's a 15 member council there are 13 people who have ridings that we call we call them districts so there are 13 districts and then there are two members at large who represent the entire county one person from each of the two major political parties so there's a democratic uh member at large and a republican member at large and so while the other people are running to represent their riding their district we run countywide and everyone in allegheny county gets to vote for us so my election was in may of 2019 uh, the way that we do elections is we have a primary election in the spring and that is where the voters choose the person who's going to be the candidate for their political party. So the Democrats go and pick who they want to be the Democratic candidate. The Republicans go to the ballot and pick who they want to be the Republican candidate for every office. And then in November, those two candidates from those two parties, plus any third party or independent candidates are on the ballot together. So in my race, because both the Democrat and the Republican get elected, my race was decided in the primary. So my opponent was a 20-year incumbent, uh, a union guy. He was 50 years older than me. He was the only person to ever hold that office. Our form of government in Allegheny County has only existed since 2000, 2001. And so for 20 years, he held this seat. And I challenged him and won. And I did it by just working my butt off, going everywhere, talking with everyone, and just being honest about me, about my plans for how I think we can make Allegheny County better. And, you know, I talk a lot about jails and prisons and the criminal legal system, you know, but my office is a, is a hell of a lot more than that. We just um, recently, you know, some other things we've accomplished recently, we just created a civilian police review board. Uh, there's 130 separate police forces within my district. 
and there's no oversight over any of them. So we created a body where members of the public can be appointed to a body to investigate police misconduct claims. Uh, we just banned fracking, you know, fracking for natural gas. We just banned fracking in Allegheny County uh, on our county lands. So another, you know, big win we've had. We've been working really hard to increase funding to our community college program so that people can get, you know, we don't, we, we look to Canada like you guys have this fantasy world that we wish we could even, you know, aspire to be someday. But the reality is that things like community college and public education are unaffordable for a lot of people. You know, that privilege that comes along in the criminal legal system isn't just in the criminal legal system, but also when it comes to education and our workforce and housing and all those things. So working to combat racism and inequality and equity issues in all of those different aspects, they kind of all tie together. You know, I, I wish you could just focus on one thing and run with it, but there's so much going on at any given time. And I feel every day like I, you know, am so lucky to be in this position where I can meet somebody down at the grocery store. They tell me this idea that they've had for years about a law for Allegheny County to fix something, and I can actually write it and introduce it and pass it. You know, like that direct representation is to me what government's supposed to be and what it hasn't been. Most of my constituents, they slide into my DMs on Twitter and, and ask me questions. You know, not having to wait online with, with their elected official on the phone or send emails that maybe get answered by a staffer. We have three staff members on county council for all 15 of us. So we're kind of on our own. Uh, I get paid $10,900 a year to do this job. So they call it part-time. I spend more time on it than I, I do my full-time job that actually pays my bills. But it's just the most rewarding thing in the world. But the reality is you get out of it what you put into it. And I, I have colleagues, you know, other members of council, other elected officials uh, in the area uh, who hold a title and hold an office and keep a seat warm and don't do anything with it. And that blows my mind because there's so much work to do. And how lucky are we that we get to hold these seats and represent our community every day? I mean, it's the most unique opportunity in the world. And so few people get to experience it. And, you know, whether I win or lose the next time I'm up for reelection, I know that I did as much good as I possibly could for the time I was here. It's it's all just so incredible to to hear this story play out. Like, I mean, you literally went from inside the jail to to governing the jail, and you talk about beating this incumbent that had, is the only person who'd ever held that office. And our notion in Canada of Pennsylvania as a swing state means yeah. in in our head is it's up for grabs. Whoever's doing the best job or or did the best job campaigning is probably going to win it. And I I feel like that that notion that Pennsylvania, Allegheny County in particular, has this maybe more open mind contributed to the fact that you were able to put yourself in a position to win that. And now you have to do, like you have to deliver on it because you're a swing state. You're not going to win just because you're running on one side of the ballot or the other. And I, I'm looking at your, you know, your platform and, and it's not like, it's not just jails. There's transparency and clean air, clean water, transit, criminal justice reforms on there, uh, LGBTQIA plus rights. Like it's, you're, you're tackling the, the issues that may affect people. Do you feel like there's enough time, even with COVID taking away so much of your first term, to be able to to get a track record to go up for re-election and and not have the and I don't want to dismiss it as a novelty but at the novelty of being not the incumbent and the first time this person who's ever been in the jail wants to try and run for these are you going to have time to to do a good enough job to to win the seat again Oh, yeah, there's never enough time to do everything. I wish that I could add about 10 hours to every day uh, to do everything that we want to do. But yeah, that's the coolest part is that I've been able to build a coalition that has allowed me to get things done. When I first got elected to council, I, I was throwing things at the wall and seeing what would stick. I was, you know, throwing ideas and my priorities at the wall and just hoping that I could get things over the finish line. And then over the years, I've refined that to to be strategic, right? To count my votes every single time. I have a coalition of seven 
of us on council. Remember, I need eight to pass things. So with seven of us, I'm always working towards that eighth vote. And then our county executive, who's kind of like our president of the county, he vetoes it. And he vetoed our fracking legislation. He's vetoed transparency legislation. And then that means I need 10 votes to override his veto. So I'm fortunate enough that I have a laundry list of things that I've been able to accomplish. I mean, one of the first things we uh, did whenever I got elected was we banned conversion therapy in Allegheny County. You know, if people don't know what that is, it's basically where they try to uh, shock you into not being gay um, and torture you into, you know, changing your gender identity or sexuality. Horrible, horrible, horrible practices that has led to a lot of suicides in our LGBTQIA community. And we banned that. And, you know, it felt at the time like, okay, we can actually do things. We can get things done because the body that I'm on was for so long called a rubber stamp. They didn't pass any legislation. So, when I got elected, county council started being in the news. They started passing legislation. We started doing things and standing up for things that the body had never done before. And so me and one of my colleagues who got elected at the same time as me, you know, we're credited with kind of changing that, with making it so that people care about county government. Because that's the thing, you know, in Canada, I know it's, it's different than we have here, but our government is so fragmented. So you talked about Pennsylvania, right? And Pennsylvania is a purple state, right? It's a swing state. And historically, whatever presidential candidate wins Pennsylvania goes on to win the White House. So it's a big deal. Allegheny County is one of 67 counties in Pennsylvania. So in that one state, we have 67 counties. Allegheny County is a tenth of the population of Pennsylvania. So one tenth of all the people that live in Pennsylvania live in Allegheny County. And Allegheny County isn't purple. Allegheny County is solidly blue. We're about 70-30 blue. Um, and even more so, Pittsburgh is our city center. And everybody thinks that Allegheny County is Pittsburgh. It's a lot more than that. It's a lot more diverse. We have, uh, you know, rural populations in urban settings. And so I have 130 townships, municipalities just within my county. So when we talk about Pennsylvania and Allegheny County and, you know, what is the appetite for people who live here, it depends where, you know, I'm in law school now. So that's kind of like the line that we say all the time is it depends, but it really depends on, you know, where you go, what people are looking for out of an elected official. And I've, I've seen so many politicians before me who kind of like code switch, who, who change their message based off of the room that they're in. And fortunate for me is I talk about the same thing everywhere I go because it's true to me. It's who I am. And I'm able to go into a room and say, oh, you're, this isn't a room where people care about the people in jail. But how about the fact that 35 cents of every dollar you pay in taxes goes to incarcerating people pre-trial without a conviction. Doesn't that make you mad? And I know that I can go into communities who have been ravaged by the opioid epidemic, who have lost dozens and dozens of their neighbors to overdose. And I can say, listen, I was there. I've reversed overdoses on people. And harm reduction is the way to go. And talking about things in the way that people might be scared of syringe exchange programs. People might be scared of safe consumption sites for people to go and safely use drugs. But when you talk about things in a way to kind of offset the initial hesitancy, when that's how we're able to get things done, is by explaining things to people, not by changing our message, but by framing it in a way that they'll care about. And that's how I've been able to get stuff done. You know, right now it's budget season. And I have, in the past, tried to amend 15 line items on the budget to try to make it more suitable to the residents of Allegheny County. And then not one of them passes. And now my third year in office, I'm now figuring out that, okay, here's the two things that are most important to me this year. Here's the things I've been trying to get done since I got here. This is what we're going to focus on. And kind of coalescing around that, We've been we've passed more legislation in the past, you know, going on three years now than council has in the 20 years before that. It's it's miraculous. And so even though everything we want to do doesn't necessarily happen, even though COVID changed everything and shifted our priorities from reforming things to just keeping people alive, 
I've been able to get a lot done and it feels good as hell, especially when I walk into that jail and people say to me, that's the girl that puts money on our books. That's the girl that gives us $100. That feels so good because it takes one second to cast the yes vote to change people's lives. And yet all those hours that go into the bickering and, you know, uh, negotiating beforehand, it makes it all worth it to see somebody who has been positively affected by legislation that we passed. So uh, my, the only thing that I think they can use against me is I have a mouth and I say what I think all the time. And so I'm looking forward to reelection because I've never run as an incumbent before. I can't wait to see what it's like. My record legislatively is impeccable. Uh, I, I speak my mind all the time and people don't always like it. So, Well, and that's, I mean, that's why ultimately why you, you wanted to get into this was to make those changes. And, and that was based off of the way you think, the way you thought your, your experiences and, and, and how you want to feel so, or how you feel. So <clears throat> I think that's all they can ask of you to, once they elect you is to go in and say what the things that are on your mind, that different point of view is why you were so attractive in the first place. Yeah. I hope that's what it is. Cause it's the one thing I can promise I'll keep doing. <laughs> so we've talked about a, a plethora of experiences and different things that you've done. One of the things that I, I, I wonder about Bethany and, and I, I don't know if, if honestly, if it's just, if there's a, an answer for this, but how do you, like, how do you manage your mental health through all of this? This has to be incredibly taxing. Like you said, this is a $10,900 a year part-time job. And with all of the other things that go into your life, is there is there any Bethany time or is it always people of Allegheny County time? Oh, there's always Bethany time. I'm a firm believer in work hard, play hard. The only reason I can put as much Bethany into my work is because I have a lot of fun too. Um, so I am a big Pittsburgh sports fan, specifically the Pirates and the Steelers. And so I follow them around the country. I uh, My favorite thing to do is go to Pirates games. The PNC Park is the most beautiful baseball stadium in the world. And so that is what I spend a lot of my time doing. And I have a really great support system that's not just my family, but also friends. And we have fun. Um, and I'm a firm believer in therapy. I actually have a virtual therapy appointment uh, in about an hour here now. I do that every week. Uh, it's something that I wasn't doing at the beginning of my term. And I was getting burnt out. I mean, it took me a year and a half to recover from the burnout of campaigning in 2019. And then COVID hit. And then council got chaotic. And then uh, board of elections. I'm on the board of elections, the 2020 election and all the threats that came my way during that. I mean, I was in jail in 2016 and in 2020, I was on CNN. Like who in the world would have thought, like I would have never imagined, but life changed really, really fast. And so I, I, I always am careful to humble myself and therapy helps a lot with that. Um, I'm not one to meditate. Uh, my brain won't ever shut up, but I've tried it. But I, I have a therapist and I have a good friend group that I can bounce things off of. I have a very supportive partner that I've been with for about five years now. Um, life is chaotic, right? And I, I go to work and I work my full-time job, you know, a nine to five. And then I go to council meetings and on top of council, there's jail oversight board, there's board of elections. And then after those meetings are over, I go to law school at nighttime, six to nine every night during the week. I mean, like it's my whole day is packed, but I make sure that I make time for the things that matter. Um, Cause you know, I, I really don't love cliches, but you know, anything you put before your recovery, you're going to lose anyways. And so I make sure that I always put me in my recovery and my well-being and the well-being of the people I love first and foremost. Uh, and, but at the end of the day, I love the people of Allegheny County. So, you know, when I'm doing that self-care for me, it's helping them too, because this is what I love to do. Like nothing, no drug in the world is going to make me feel as good as seeing someone's face that I was able to help. You know, no drug in the world is is going to be able to make me feel even half of how I feel when I help somebody start their recovery or when I help somebody run for office or when I help somebody figure out a landlord tenant issue. You know, like it it is a drug. Right. And so that's why I'm constantly working on my recovery, because I have to always make sure that I do have that balance because I'm an addict in my heart, in my soul. I will be an addict till the day that I die. I no longer use opioids, but 
I still have that addictive personality and I catch myself doing it sometimes. I'll catch myself snapping at my boyfriend, you know? I'll catch myself being short at work or I'll catch myself sending a snippy email or, you know, going off on someone in the Twitter comments. I'll catch myself doing that. And that's when I know like, okay, Bethany, time to take a step back. I'm taking a nice little uh, birthday vacation next week, the epic trip, seeing the Steelers play the Dolphins in Miami and then go into North Carolina to see the University of Pittsburgh play UNC and then go into Philly to see the Eagles play the Steelers. I mean, like I have this epic trip coming up and that was going to be my release. And then Airbnb banned me for life right after I booked the Airbnb for my trip. And it turned into this huge story and it was all over the internet and I was doing interviews left and right. And I was scrambling to book a new trip all at the same time. Like you know, I tell you that to illustrate that things are always going to come up and life is always going to happen. But because of the six years I have under my belt in recovery now, like I have every single tool that I could ever imagine in my tool belt. And when something comes up, I know what tool to pull out and use because I have worked so hard through therapy, not just myself, but I did a year of family therapy when I first got out of jail to repair the relationships with the people I love who I hurt really bad. Um, you know, I, I do work for the community because that's therapeutic for me. Uh, I know now how to handle what life throws at me, but I also know how to have fun. And I am the life of the party everywhere I go because I truly enjoy life now. I never, I got a second chance at life. How many people get that opportunity? So I make sure that every single day I live it to the fullest. I don't want to miss out on anything because I never thought I would see any of these days. And yet here I am. So work hard, play hard forever. So that that actually dovetails nicely into kind of the last and and after hearing all that goes into a day of Bethany, I I'm going to let you go here right away because you clearly have a lot of things to do. <laughs> but um, I'm I'm always curious when I talk to somebody who's who's had such an incredible life and and doing the things that you are doing. Um, what what does success look like to you now? And does it is it something that you ever could have imagined I don't want to go back to your lowest because that's not fair but at any point in your recovery is this something you could have ever imagined oh my gosh not imagine I don't even think it was something I, I ever wanted at any point in my life before I ended up here it was just not something that was on my radar um success to me is is happiness is joy because I feel like it's one of the few things that you can't buy it's one of the few things that you know, you can't just, you have to natively experience. Uh, I was constantly chasing happiness and joy using drugs. And I was constantly, you know, whether it was sex, drugs, food, I was constantly chasing something instead of just creating it for myself. And so I am so happy today, but not only am I happy, the people around me are too. Uh, I burned a lot of bridges along the way and, and I never thought I would be where I am. I mean, I wanted to be a lawyer since I was a little kid and I'm just finishing my second year of law school. I never in a million years, even two years ago, would have thought that I would ever get that back. It was the last thing that I said that I lost, that I hadn't gotten back yet. I lost my driver's license for 10 years. I got that back in June. I was on, you know, in jail and probation. I, you know, lost jobs and had to rebuild a, some semblance of a career. But nothing says success to me like joy. And what brings me joy and happiness is seeing other people that my work brings joy or happiness, is knowing that I see people sometimes at their lowest points. And it doesn't need to involve drugs or alcohol or any sort of addiction. But life it sucks sometimes and life is hard and people just need somebody to listen and care. And that's something that I can always do. Even if I can't fix somebody's problem, I'm always going to listen and I'm always going to be accessible to them to listen. And, you know, just seeing the relief on someone's face or hearing them sigh, knowing that the first person that they've reached out to finally listened. I mean, that's success to me. Being able to have a platform where I can amplify the needs of my community, uh, like other people with platforms have refused to do, that's success. You know, I, I, I say a million times, being in jail and then being on CNN, that to me is success. Like seeing that come up that everyone told me I could never do. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is Rihanna says, haters are motivators. 
I had a lot of haters and I have a lot of haters now. I get called every name in the book. If you go through my social media comments, the comments on, you know, local media outlets when they report on some work that I'm doing, uh, every name slurs about drug addicts and uh, sex workers and, um, you know, just calling me stupid and saying, oh, she must be high. That's why she's saying this. Uh, threatening my family, threatening my loved ones, threatening me. Um, I have a lot of haters out there. And so I know that every day doing the next right thing, doing the next good thing is the worst thing that could ever happen for them. And that to me is success, is overcoming every single obstacle that has been thrown my way and using it as motivation to make people's lives better and bring joy to everyone that I get seeing my community change for the better around me. Super fun podcast with Bethany. I mean, she she kind of gets the unvarnished truth right out there. And she talks a lot about the things that I think people, you know, in society want to talk about. She she has that equity to talk about the things that nobody wants to really get into the weeds on. And she's been on both sides of it. She's been on the downside of up and the upside of down. And uh, I think her ability to kind of put a a word or a picture in everyone's mind when she's talking about some of these things is part of her success. I mean, she, she really is an incredible force when you sit down and talk with her and the things that, that she's passionate about um, there's no getting in her way. She's going to, she's going to break it down for you to a part that you want to understand. And she's going to have you at least thinking about your position, even if she doesn't change your mind. I, I couldn't believe it when she got back to me on the old Twitter machine and said she'd be a part of it. Um, I was just like, this this lady's going to be too good to be true. And she was. So really fun pod with Bethany. I can't believe that we're already, you know, halfway now between episodes 50, Quick Dick McDip, and episodes 100. Uh, we're right in that 75 range, and we're, and we're still getting guests like this. We've got a couple of real real doozies coming up, the, uh, coming up here in the next couple of weeks. It's going to be a lot of fun to uh, – to see what uh, some of the people that we have on, what they want to talk about, where they want to go with their stories. Cause uh, they really, there's a couple that could go in any direction. So we always like to talk to, uh, to interesting new people, bring you their stories, get out in front of it and see, uh, see what people have to say. Um, the numbers after, after the summer lull have been incredible. Uh, we hit, um, we hit 10,000 streams a little while ago and we're over 11 already. So, I mean, that's, uh, you know, uh, an incredible amount for a little little podcast that me and me and uh, Liam are, are putting together here every week. So we just want to say that, um, you know, for every every time you listen, if you could go in, put a five star review and leave a comment or like whatever you can and wherever you hear it, um, it's always appreciated. And uh, and it's a lot of fun to, to interact with people. Don't don't hesitate to reach out with us on the Instagram or, or on the email. Uh, all that stuff's in the show notes if you want to get a hold of us. But. As we say at the end of all of these, there are no wrong answers and no test at the end. So make the most out of every day. The second act of the podcast would like to thank Ben Sound for the intro and outro music. Happy Rock. That is www.bensound.com. We'd also like to thank Chin Whiskers for the promotional consideration. You can find them at your local Tommy Guns, Original Barbershop, Amazon, or chinwhiskers.ca. And we would also like to thank you for listening. Test the microphone. No mmm noise. You're an asshole.